Well, good morning. Um, my name is Gail Greenwell. Um, I actually have been part of the Trinity community for the last couple of years, but given that we've spent most of that time with the lower half of our faces covered, I will, you're all forgiven for not knowing who I am. <laughs> um, I was also a cathedral dean at one time. I most recently retired from there in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I'm gonna just tell you right up front, it's probably an occupational hazard, but I love words. I just love words. And I'm not a Wordle fan, in case you wanna ask me about that later. I do do crossword puzzles and uh, spelling bee kind of things, but I just love words. And here are my, some of my favorite proverbs about words. Anything you say before the word but, does not count. It is not an apology if it is prefaced by an excuse. Marriage is a 50-year conversation, if you're lucky. And lastly, and this might be the most important one of all, you can always tell someone to go to hell tomorrow. So put it off. You know, I also love the etymology of words. For example, this is the kind of geeky stuff that just makes my day. I'm going to offer you the root of the word sarcasm. Now, I love sarcasm. I'm in a 12-step program to learn how to not be sarcastic. <laughs> right, Linda? Amen. <laughs> We're in it together. <laughs> sarcasm. We, we all know that as a word that means a cutting remark or a sneering remark, right? Um, and that definition is fitting because uh, the root is from a group, Greek word, an ancient Greek word called, I'm, not, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, sarkazine, which means to tear at the flesh, to tear at the flesh. And so that word literally becomes a verb for speaking cruelly. So it turns out your mother was actually wrong. Not only can sticks and stones break your bones, but it turns out words can also hurt you. In the case of sarcasm, it means it would feel like someone who was literally tearing your skin. Words. They are the form of communication that distinguishes us from all other animals. Even though we know that the animal kingdom has their own ways of communicating with each other within their species, you know, of course, that whales, they've done all these really cool recordings of whales doing their little clicking and whistles, almost sounds sing-song, you know, they can make a whole opera out of whales, and elephants, can communicate through these low rumblings in their throats that can be heard like a mile away. And I think this one's really cool. Bats, it turns out, have 15,000 different sounds that they can make. And scientists have managed to translate those sounds into very specific messages. Turns out that 60% of the things that bats are saying to other bats have to do with four specific things. Food, sleeping positions, invasion of personal space, and unwanted advances, right? It's like 
a dating app or something for bats. <laughs> but words in our own spe species have similar purposes, right? Especially in families, we try to persuade one another with words, we try to protect one another with our words, but we also use words to express our innermost longings. Now, you might be a student of something called love languages. Have you heard of this? It's, there's a whole sort of science around love languages. There's books about it, and there's people who do therapy just in the languages of love. And we learn to discover what our own love language would be. Most of the love languages are nonverbal. They're things like acts of service might be the way that people can best express love to you. Or it might be something else that's nonverbal, like physical touch, or the way we spend quality time with each other. Well, it was no surprise to me to learn that my love language were words of affirmation. That's where I really feel someone's love. And that brings me this morning to the prophet Amos in our first lesson. He delivers this incredibly frightening prophecy. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Now, those are not words of affirmation. Amos predicts that the day will come where we will wake up and we will discover that God has packed up all the good words and left us with no way to express ourselves to one another. Now that's a doomsday prophecy in my book, a famine of words. A famine of words would leave me with no way to express the things I want to say to the people that I care about, and it would put me on a starvation diet of the words I most want to hear. What will such a famine mean to you? Well, it might mean that when you finally make the decision to reconnect with that brother that you haven't spoken to for 20 years, you will not be able to find the words that mean, I'm sorry, please forgive my stubbornness, I've missed you. And when your first grandchild is placed in your arms and you, your heart's just overflowing and you want to express all the love and gratitude you are feeling, no words will come to you. And when your beloved lies dying, and we long to recall the ways in which this beautiful soul has blessed and enriched our lives, our throats will kind of crack and croak, and nothing will come out. And when you're falsely accused of something, a theft or some other great injustice, and you want to find words to defend yourself, nothing will come. And when the nation falls un into the hands of despots and demagogues, we will lack the words 
that say enough, the power words of protest we once knew will have disappeared. That's a famine of words. Now the prophet Amos was not himself an eloquent man. He was a simple man. He was a sheep herder and a tree trimmer. And yet it was Amos that God chose to remind us that one day we may lose the ability to say what we mean and to say what life, what makes life worth living. God used words to speak the world into being. Words like good and light and blessing. Now if you subtract those words from our vocabulary, we might only be left with words that drag us back into the darkness, into chaos. Words like evil and curse. And when that happens, the Lord says, we will be in a time of word famine. Now, I'm going to let you decide if that prophecy has already come true. But is there anyone else out there this morning that is hungry for the words of God? Now, I'm not referring to politics that are wrapped up in Scripture or words that privilege one group's moral superiority over another's. I'm talking about words that startle us with their freshness, words that are full of clarity and innate integrity. Anyone else hungry out there to hear those kind of words? Or am I the only one feeling as if I'm living on a starvation diet of words that speak beauty and holiness and godly wisdom. I think we're losing the words that we need to talk about what's important to us. Our ears have been so assaulted by the imposters of God, the white Christian nationalists and all those countless other groups that are nothing but noisy gongs and clanging cymbals, but I bet you can remember times when you've heard God's words. And I'm going to guess that those beautiful words of blessing and holiness didn't always come from Holy Scripture or from a pulpit such as this one. I've heard God speak through poetry and through song. I've heard God in a teen that I visited in the county jail. I've heard God speaking from a woman who had been sleeping with her children in her car. And I've heard God's words from a man who transgressed his marriage vows and begged forgiveness from his spouse. I've heard them in all those places where we really expect to hear, okay, lights out, party's over, and instead we hear gentle words that allow us to begin again. With so many words coming at us all of the time, how do you know? How do you know which ones are God's words and which ones are not? 
And I'm sure there are many answers to that question. But here's some things that I'm on the lookout for, some things I do listen for, and some things that raise red flags for me. I find that God's subject matter lands in probably three or four different categories. Uncompromising love, justice for all, endless amounts of forgiveness. And the things that alert me that maybe the words are not of God are arrogance and certainty. It requires enormous humility to speak of God and of God's ways, and arrogance and certainty are the sworn enemies of humility. And the last thing I listen for is fear. There's a lot of that all around us. Fear-mongering is actually a paid profession these days. But you know what? That's not new. We've known this throughout our history, and we've witnessed courageous resistance to scare tactics. You know, while the words of God might sometimes frighten us, fear is never the goal. The goal is healing. The goal is right relationships and reconciliation. The goal is abundant life. And, and Amos leaves us with that vision, a vision of those goals that God has. I will restore the fortunes of my people, God says through Amos. I will plant them on their land, and they will never again be plucked up. So it seems that God does not wish a famine upon us as a punishment for whatever we've done or failed to do. Rather, God is offering us a way to avoid the famine of words. And that is, we need to speak them ourselves. We need to speak the kind of words that heal our rifts. We need to speak the words that broadcast acceptance and love. We need to verbalize what justice looks like and never fear that we might become the outcasts for speaking up for those who cannot speak. And we can't just speak the words, but we, in the words of our baptismal covenant, we need to proclaim by word and example by word and example, and our words in our very lives need to be on the line. Now, the good news is that's not something we need to do by ourselves. Instead, God calls us together into communities like this one, where the words of God can go to work on us and in us and through us until the sound of God's words becomes like a second heartbeat to us, thrumming in our ears and beating throughout this community, where the practice of speaking those words will become a new rhythm for us and will grow into a new and abundant crop of blessing that will spring out of our midst. 
We say it every Sunday as the lesson concludes. The reader says to us, hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people, and how do we respond? Amen.